everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all-important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. And I think that you can get into this mindset of yours is the only ideas. Do you know what I'm saying? Especially in a partnership. Right. Like this is the way it should go because you agree it must be right. Right. I do think that that kind of hampered our success for a while. Welcome to Hustle and Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we're two sisters who love business. On this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we know all the challenges that come with starting a business. Between operating our wedding venue, doing speaking and consulting, and starting our luxury wedding planning company, we wake up and hustle every day. And today we're talking, just the two of us, about last week's episode with Amy Thompson, president and CEO of Creative Allies, a marketing firm for entrepreneurs. Amy knows the ins and outs of running a business, as well as the importance of building a personal brand in order to ensure professional success. If you haven't heard last week's episode, go give it a listen and come back to hear our thoughts. All right, Courtney, let's get started. All right, that was a fun episode. That was a fun episode. Yeah, I loved her interesting journey to becoming an entrepreneur, like through becoming an investor. No. Yeah. And like that's like such a new one for me. I know. Mostly because I don't <laughs> invest in really anything, anything besides myself and the business. How do you invest in yourself? I don't know. Wash my face, do some <laughs> yoga, go to retreats, better my mind. Okay. How do you invest in yourself? Uh, I don't know. I want to <laughs> say I invest in myself. I don't know. I guess I wash my face. <laughs> I don't do yoga. No retreats for you. No retreats for me. No. And your mind is a scary place, so. It is. No reason to untangle that. Mm, nope. No, but I love that. Like how she, like, we were talking with a friend recently. Like we went out to dinner and she oh, was yeah. talking about how she invested in someone's company. Yes. Like directly. And yes. I was like, huh, like I've never even like. I would totally do that, but like those opportunities have really never come up. Like, how do you go about finding opportunities to invest in like actual Mm. companies that you can visit? I don't know, but I loved her tip of like when she talked about how she knew it was a good one. She, her questions were, is it sustainable? Is it growing? Yeah. And so a funny story, I guess not funny story, but I guess side story to this is a couple months ago, me and Courtney looked into buying a bed and breakfast that we were going to turn into a venue. We really liked it. I really liked it. Had good juju. Courtney, it did have good juju. And Courtney eventually got cold feet, um, which was fine. <laughs> Ended up not being the right thing for us. Um, there was some septic, well, sewage issues. It, sewage. Really. it didn't have sewage allotment to yes. do what we wanted to do on it. At any rate, I was telling a good friend of mine about this. Like, it's in the industry. And he was like, he's like, oh, you're thinking about doing that video. I was like, yeah, we're talking about it. We'll know some more answers, like, next week. And He's like, well, let me know. He's like, I really want to invest in that. And I was like, what? You want to give me your money? I know. He's like, yeah, I'd love to invest in your company. He's like, he's like, I keep telling you that, like, I I just want to learn everything from you guys. But it was like so bizarre. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is almost like remembering back to when we opened the venue, like no one wanted to invest in our business. The bank didn't want to invest in our business. Not even the bank that held all of our money. They were like, nope, this is not an investment we want to make. No. 
So I think it was kind of shocking that we're like at the point where someone's like, oh, I want to invest in your company. And I'm like, oh, interesting. But I think about that, like, and I think it is more about, it's not, it's about investing in the company. Yes. Like, you know, looking at the financials, is it profitable or whatever? But I think it's almost like you're selling yourself. Oh, totally. They're investing in you. Oh yeah. They're investing in your ideas and they're investing in what they think your success rate is going to be. Well, yeah. Because even the best ideas of a terrible leaders are going to fail. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I think it is just kind of more salesy, honestly. It is true. Yeah. But it's totally interesting. I thought that was a really interesting way to end up being a CEO yeah. of a company. Yeah. Obviously, she has other investors in that group right, with her. Right, 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 right. She just kind of runs the show now. Yeah. No, I thought it was a really interesting story. Yeah. yeah. I loved how she talked so much about motivation, like what motivates her in her business and she said that she realized that she was not motivated by money, but she was motivated by like project completion. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked about like what motivates us like in general, like what do we love about our business mm-hmm. and keeps us moving forward. But thinking about like, cause she's kind of in the beginning of her ownership, mm-hmm. thinking about in that like beginning stages, like what motivated you to keep moving forward? Like what was your like motivation factor? I think it was money, even though we weren't making any at all, I think it was knowing what was to come down the pipeline. Like, yeah. you, you could see the future in a way. Like, you're like, okay, if we can get to this point and we can be uh, this much profit, you could see, oh, yeah. wow, like, this is a great life. This is a sustainable life. Yeah. You know, this is some amount of financial freedom. I didn't expect for it to take as long as it did. I mean, seven years, really, to finally even feel like that, you know, but I think that, but I also really appreciate her saying getting things done motivated. And I, I feel that deeply, like checking things off my to-do list makes, motivates me to do the next thing off my to-do list because it feels so good to get it done. Yeah. I like totally agree. Whenever you're talking about all I'm thinking about is like the reprisal of the sun will come up tomorrow. Cause I felt like we were always like tomorrow, 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 it's going to be better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Knowing that tomorrow was multiple years away, but tomorrow was going to come and it was going to be sunny. I'm glad you had that thought because I did not think that. I was thinking like, what's our five-year plan? Five years from now, not tomorrow. Oh, I meant uh, that was a metaphorical tomorrow. Right. That tomorrow was multiple years away. I think you genuinely woke up and maybe it was like, maybe not tomorrow. Maybe it was like next week, next month. You have a little bit more of a positive outlook. I felt like utterly like for us at the beginning, like especially with the Bradford, like it had to work. Like there just wasn't really an option. And Dana reminded me often that it didn't have to work. But I really believed that it had to work. Like there just wasn't really an option. Like failure was not an option for us. So do you, that's a good point. So do you feel like, let's say it's the worst idea ever. Yeah. Right. Like maybe it's not super sellable. Um, right. Okay. So you don't believe in this idea from the beginning. Well, outsiders don't, but this person does. Okay. They, they think it's what they need, that they, they can do it. But they are very much motivated. They think it's going to work. They are very much like you. It has to work. There's no other option. So they bust their ass, bust their ass, bust their ass. Is it successful? If it's not a super sellable thing? Or does there have to be? Do you have to I have don't both? know. There's a lot of silly things out there that I would perceive as not super sellable. And they seem very sellable. And people are very wealthy because of it. I mean, think about like when, like, uh, who's the person who owns Spanx? Think about when that was first introduced. That probably seemed like the craziest idea. Why? We have spent our entire life being told we're too fat. Why is that a crazy idea for someone to make you not fat? 
I am just saying, like, I just think it had to have been like some off the wall idea. Like we're going to have these undergarments and they're going to suck in your fat and they're going to like make you look different and whatever shape you want to make or, or be. So uh, it had to have been off the wall. Like when they first got introduced, I guess I'm thinking more of like, okay, so there is this, um, I was watching this YouTube video. This is like years ago. This was like maybe like year one of the Bradford. And I was lamenting about nobody loved the Bradford more than me and you. And that's right. And there was this fear of letting go because no one's going to sell it as great as we are. No one's going to love it as much as we do, whatever. And he had this video and it was this man. I can't, I have no idea. I remember who he is. I'm probably going to totally butcher the story, but that's fine. And he invented a razor for bald men that you can, cause he used to shave his head with a razor and it was really hard and he can, and this razor, it was curved it slipped on your finger and you could just go like this as opposed to using the handle. And it was like this like breakthrough, whatever. And he made, and he like had these things manufactured and he hired some people to go out and sell this razor. Like legitimately, like you think like a kiosk at the mall. Right. Right. And he sold like, I'm just making these numbers. So I don't know what the actual numbers were, but he sold like a hundred that day. And all of his people only sold like 20. And the point of the story was no one's going to sell it like you can sell it because it's it's you it's everything like you're the one that can yeah. sell it that seems like such a small market for bald men i've have. never heard of these curved razors so it must be a very small market but he's super successful mm-hmm. i mean like super successful like millionaire like started with this curved razor and it was it was then brought into people used it who were in chemo who wanted to maintain short hair it was like there was like this huge market that he didn't know really existed for it. And so I think back to the question, I think there is a mix of it. I think that enough perseverance and enough, like, I don't know, marketing prowess and gumption and like tenacity. I think anything can be successful to a point. I do believe that. I do. I do actually believe that. I think that if you believe in it enough and you work it enough, I think that, there will be some level of success. Are you going to be like a billionaire? Like, are you going to be the Netflix Jeff Bezos? Probably not. But like, I think you can be successful within your own realm if you have enough tenacity and ability to believe in what you're actually selling. Because people don't buy things a lot of times because of the thing. Mm -hmm. They buy things because of how people use using the thing or wearing the thing or whatever make them feel. That's why we have a whole influencer market, right? right? It's these people telling you that they feel better wearing these things, doing these things, vacationing here, driving this, eating this. Like it's going to make you happier and whatever. And so I think yeah. that if you market it well enough and you believe in it enough such that you get other people to believe it, then I think it is sellable, even the stupidest things. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, side note to be an influencer, do you have to like, is all you ever do is like sit on a beach in a bikini all the time? Like that's all they do. They're always I mean, it seems traveling. like a very specific kind of influencer. There's other types of influences going on. You're just not aware. Apparently. Yeah. The wrong search bar on my Instagram. <laughs> I know. Mine are all bikinis too. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like it's true. Yeah. It's all like the kind of Kardashian model of influencing. Yeah. Okay. Digress. Moving on. Uh-huh. We digress. So what motivates you? You said it was money at, in the beginning. And I don't think you answered the question. I did not answer the question. I don't know. I think for me, it was just like everything that we'd worked for. I don't know. At, in the beginning. It was definitely we needed money to like be able to like move forward. And we 
We never actually got money out of it. We just needed money to pay for the next thing, to pay right. for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We weren't hiring anybody at that point. We were just literally right. trying to get this thing off the ground. But I always felt like I was just living this dream slash nightmare slash dream slash nightmare that like we'd worked for for so long and we were just doing it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it felt like that to me. So just the like doing it motivated me. Yeah. I mean, there is some, there is a neat thing to say you own a business. It's anything to say you own a six figure business. Yeah. Say you own a seven figure business. Like those are neat things to say about yourself in a lot of, a lot of ways. It's been very proud to feel. Well, it was really neat, I guess, that this was something that we like talked about in a coffee shop, like at this point, what, six years earlier, Mm -hmm. sketched it out on a napkin found something that we kind of liked, got it built, and that, then it was actually happening. Right. Like, oh, wow, all these things that we spoke about are right. actually happening. And I just believed in it so much. But you know that. Yeah, I do know that. Yeah, that it was just actually doing it and doing it how we said we were going to do it and, you know, making it happen. That really motivated me to the end of it. It's really interesting because I feel like her advice at the end was don't rush. Running a business is not for everybody. Like basically figure out if it's a lifestyle that you want. Yeah. Whereas I wouldn't say we rushed into it. I think we were very much like the dip your toe into it type of entrepreneurs. Like yeah. we kept our main source of income for a very long time until we kind of made it a full-time gig. But I don't know if I would have given myself that same advice. But we've always said this. Our biggest mistake and our biggest regret was not going all in like immediately and I don't know, and we say that now the landscape's very different than it was in yeah. 2013, like where people were not lending money and they people didn't trust businesses because we were just pulling out of the recession. So I don't know if it would have even mattered if we tried to jump all in. It probably we still would not have been able to jump all in, you know? Well, I remember talking about an investor at that time, which is like interesting that she brought that up, like I was talking about earlier. And I was so worried about bringing somebody else into the mix. Oh, yeah, because then we were the responsible well, well, not irresponsible, but just to have, I didn't want anybody else telling us how we should do it. I didn't want anyone oh, yeah. else's say. Oh, I know. Even to the point where our husbands didn't have a say. Yeah. Like, I, they, I, I didn't appreciate that half the they time. They did not appreciate that. There was <laughs> no, a point. I didn't appreciate what their say was half Well, the time. I know, but they didn't appreciate the fact that they would say something and we're like, no. Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, our name is on this, mm-hmm. like with you, like we're all doing this together. Like yeah. I should have a say. And you're like, no, actually you don't have a say yeah. at all. Like. <laughs> This is not your business. We're just using your name and your credit. That's right. <laughs> it's only your liability, not your business. That's right. <laughs> Get it straight. Uh, but I think it's true, especially if you're going from, you know, some a corporate job or really a job where you feel maybe mildly fulfilled, but even like financially stable. Yeah. And going to a CEO. It is a very different world. Oh, absolutely. It's, you have to. And you, everyone thinks it's great and wonderful and glamorous, and it is great and wonderful and glamorous. Is it glamorous? But it isn't always that way. There are moments of time where it's like that. Yeah. But there's a lot, a lot of moments in time where it's you know soul crushing, and maybe you don't want your soul to be crushed every week. Maybe or monthly, biannually. Biannually. <laughs> I think it's more than biannually. Yeah. I think it's just the mental plate of it all, honestly. Yeah. Like I, I, like when she was talking about um, one of the things that she said that she was so excited about was adding team members, mm. and which I love. Like there is nothing more, not authenticating, that's not the word, nothing more. Validating? Validating, yes. Validating than when you ha- are sitting in front of this person who you respect, who has all mm. of these traits that you're like, wow, that person's amazing. 
and I love this and this and this about them, and they do this and this and this better than I ever would, or that's an amazing idea, and then it's like, and they work for me. Do you know what I mean? There's something just amazing about that. But I know for us, like, we never took that lightly, right? Mm -hmm. There was always, like, a mental toll to adding somebody to the team because you knew that you were responsible for, you know, their livelihood. Well, she said that took her like she wanted to have six months of proof. And I was like, it's like Courtney reincarnate over there. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that was like six months. I need a whole year. And yes. you know, it's happening next year before I hire someone for this year. Yes. <laughs> for the whole year. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I know. But it, it is like, there's a lot of like mental weight with that. Do you know what I mean? That I think Certainly. you don't have when you aren't running a company or aren't the CEO or aren't making the decisions. Well, sure. I mean, like there's, I mean, I know many people who are on like mid- you know, mid-level managers. So right. they hire people all the time. It doesn't, they don't worry about where that person's paycheck is. They just got it, you know, information down from the boss that, hey, you have, you know, hired two people, right. expand your team because we're going to be adding this project. And they just do it. They don't think twice about it. Yeah. They're not thinking like, yes, I'm hiring for this project, but are there going to be two more projects no. after that? Right. They don't think about that. They don't think about that at all. They just like build up and then they have layoffs and yeah, it's a very strange mindset that I think small business doesn't have. Right, 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 right. It's very different. I agree. I really liked it when she talked about, because I really connected with this, is that how creative you are when you're broke. Yeah. And her point really is to maintain that creativity. Yeah. I personally feel like it's one of those like out of sight, out of mind things. So like, yes, when we were broke, we were extremely creative in how we spent our money because we had to be. You know, right. we had to figure out how to make, take our windows from like $30,000 to $14,000. And we made a terrible choice doing right. it. It's it terrible. was creative. It was creative. Not the best one. It was not the best one. Um, but the point is we had to figure out how to save money and how to do things in a way that was without that end goal at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think when you're in a season of plenty, you forget that. And I feel like, I don't know if you've ever fully really been in a season of plenty, but we've had seasons where we're comfortable. Yeah. And like we were talking about the story about um, our employees just buying random shit off Amazon for ridiculous amounts of money. It it didn't make or break us. Like it was not a huge deal. But if that was the beginning of the Bradford, like I, I think we would have shit a brick. (laughs) Like, (laughs) because like, where is this money coming from? Like, I only, uh, you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. I know. Because that's what it felt like. And so it was, it's a funny story now. And we could like tell the employee like, hey, next time tell me we need light bulbs because we're just going to go to the dollar store to get the light bulbs. But you forget about it. Like you forget how like stressful, I don't know if stressful is the right word. Oh, it it. was stressful. There was definitely stressful times. No, I mean, I don't think you forgot stressful as you forget how necessary it was. Right. Like, Like to get you where you are. Yeah. But I will say we like, we had some great seasons and then we were going into construction and we were like, like we need to tighten up this ship. But I remember it was like that fall before construction and everyone was coming at us for a race. And I was like, y'all are like motherfucking killing me right now. <laughs> like I'm taking on a million dollar loan right now. I can't talk about a race. Can we please get to March? Can we please get to the place where I'm done showing everyone all my financials? And then we can talk about raises. Like, and I, I mean, we had that meeting and I said, I remember I was like, you all are coming at us mm-hmm. for a race and we hear you. We believe you deserve it. We cannot do them until January. We have to close on this loan. Yeah. Like we have to do it. And then of course the whole world ended yeah. in March of that year. 
And I remember then I was like, we have just got, I and mean, it was like month by month. Like you have a job this month, mm-hmm. let's work at it. Yeah. You have a job next month. Let's work at it. And we had to get creative to save those jobs. Yeah. Like, we did. We had to do a lot of manual labor. Yeah. Creativity always equals manual labor yes. for us. That is what it is. Yeah. It's not like mental gymnastics. No. It's literal like physical work. Yes. That's what, like whenever someone says get creative, that's what I think about is like planting trees or putting in a terrace or all the trim or like yeah. doing poor paint jobs or like all right. those things, <laughs> creative things that we did. Yeah. But and it bought time. It I mean, did buy time. Mm-hmm. And now we're fixing time. all of the creative things that we did, did, like the floor and the master path. That was one that we installed. And <laughs> it's true. Now it I makes. can't blame us for that fully. I mean, that's <laughs> just like, it would have happened even if a professional Tyler did it. Well, we'll never know. Yes, we won't. Yeah. So that brings me to her point is that she had a really expensive MBA. Like when oh. she came in and she had this proprietary right, right. thing that she was fixing and which I can't even wrap my mind around what that would be, but she had to revamp it. And right. by the, how it took so long that basically it was obsolete in yes. her company. What do you think was your really expensive MBA? I have no idea. I, I feel like I can, like, I have all these random thoughts. I mean, I think about the fence. That was an expensive MBA. Turned in, like, it was an expensive fence to put up. Yeah. And then it turned into a wall that was expensive. And I think about all the windows that, like, are going, they haven't quite cost me a lot of money, but they're going to cost me a lot of money. Yeah. I think about that stupid-ass small ballroom. Like that was an expensive MBA. It was a really expensive MBA, and it was a stupid choice. Yeah, the most non-functional so size so space. Small. Like, what were we thinking? I don't know. We even put in like Google Space, and it was like it'll be fine. It'll hold 120 people. It will not. It holds 80. Yeah, because anyone's curious. <laughs> On a good day. On a good day. But yeah, I think that I think in terms of like business operating, uh, my our expensive MBA is the um, employee we had to fire. Yeah, it was oh, a that, very yes. expensive MBA. It was an expensive year. It wasted a year of payroll and many years of my life. Yeah, I think for me that was probably it. It was yeah. probably realizing to not fit a job to a person, but yeah. actually find the right person for a job. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that was the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Uh, in that, in that time. And I think that was an expensive MBA, like both mentally, mentally and, and financially yes. and just like the toll on the office. Like it took a long time to bounce back. We lost, we also lost because, another employee, which is fine. Right. At the end of the day, I'm like, okay yeah. with that. But it felt very expensive at the time it did. for sure. Well, and I think what the expense was, like you said, it, it, it there was definitely like a financial expense to mm-hmm. it, but the most expensive thing was our time. Yeah. It destroyed our time. Yeah, and, like, we could have been doing other things. I know. Well, we could have just been doing anything else. That's right. We could have been, I don't know, honing our cooking skills. Yes. <laughs> anything yes. would have served us better. To me, that was that was my our most expensive mm-hmm. MBA. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I love that she talked about was how she is an introvert and how when you're the CEO, you have to be comfortable with sales because you are, you are selling yourself, really, and that's why people buy from your company, which I think is – Totally true. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to realize that I am a high functioning introvert. Because when you think about introverts, you just kind of think about kind of like the bookworms or maybe you're spending your evenings on an online forum playing Magic the Gathering, right? And I think that that is just not what all introverts are. No. Like, because I think about introverts as having low social skills. Mm. I'm not saying I have the highest social skills, 
But I am saying that you could say that I am maybe even a better seller than you are yeah. for like what our product is sure. and uh, kind of cheerleader of our business, mm-hmm. right? Which you wouldn't really think of, of as like an introvert. But I think it really comes down to how that drains me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And doesn't really fill me up. But I loved how she was talking about being an introvert and still being in sales and trying to like marry those two. Yeah, I feel like for us, like this is what makes the partnership so great is I genuinely feel like I'm like the primer. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. I am an extrovert. I get filled up by being around people all the time. It yeah. like it gives me so much energy. And, and I you keep your schedule so full. You yes, do. I, I do. know. Because I love it, you know? And so I am very much like the person that's out there and I love to create relationships. I love yeah. to have relationships. I love having multiple, like lots of friends and even, and I don't need to have deep friendships. I am so happy having surface level friendships. I can have so much fun so with weird. anybody, anywhere, like totally fun. I don't really love selling necessarily, but I feel like I prime the pump, so to say, mm-hmm. like where I'm like, hey, we're so much fun. Like we love being around everybody and we're great people. And then like, here comes Courtney and tell them how, <laughs> why we should, why they should buy from us, um, which is true, which I feel like that's how networking works a lot of the times, yeah. you know? And we definitely connect with different people in the networking world, you know, Yeah. in general. But yeah, I, I do think it's interesting because when she was telling me about like how she had to tell herself, okay, this is, you know, for this goal. And it's more of like a, I, I want to make payroll. Therefore I have to get this client. Like she did like not rationalize, but kind of think through why she was doing what she was doing to give it a purpose and meeting. And then she could be like all in. I just imagine, I mean, being an extrovert can be exhausting. I mean, there are times when you do get depleted because you're just exhausted. Like yeah. it's just, you're giving, 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 giving so much. And you're always on, always on. And I remember I was walking into a NACE meeting and I was at the university club in Durham and it has, you had to go up like, I don't know how many stories, like 17, 20. I think it is like 17. Yeah. And I'm in the elevator and I'm just telling myself, right, okay, you be social, you can do this. You're going to smile. You're going to have fun. Get a glass of wine. It'll be okay. Like I'm like giving myself a pep mm-hmm. talk to get off the elevator and, and then you're on and you're smiling. You're like, okay, great. Like, you know, whatever. But I think, I think everyone, no matter who you are, when you're networking, when you're selling, you have to give yourself that pep talk. Oh, I definitely think that. I'm the same way. Yeah. And like half the time, like it's fine when I get there Mm -hmm. and I'm not like awkward in a situation or anything like that. You make awkward jokes sometimes, like you don't read the room all the time. That's the thing. For me, there's so many unentertaining people. Like I'm here, I'm giving of myself, I'm putting my best jokes out there, and like sometimes they fall flat because people aren't just getting them. And <laughs> they're that's just not, not funny. I don't believe that. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. So it's like exhausting, right? And there's uh-huh. times where I'm in a conversation and like I've just, well, you know this, I'm just- I do out like I've just checked out like you've lost my interest like it's gone on too long and like I'm just done yes you know so yeah it is it's hard so it's hard to like stay engaged yeah. sometimes and I went th- especially and I thought it was really interesting how you brought up kind of surface level friends mm-hmm. and I am like such a deep friend mm-hmm. like my best conversations and my closest friend Krista like it's always like we're solving all the real problems like we already have cancer solved and mm-hmm. you know like emotional acuity and whatnot and I feel so like recharged by that whereas I think a lot of people would feel very depleted yeah. by that yeah but it's like the surface level networking thing sometimes I just if I'm not in the right mindset like I just can't get in it 
right. know what I mean? And I would just assume just not go. Right. If I had the option, and you know this, if I have yeah. the option and I'm not forced to, like maybe Dana's out of town and you're supposed to be at a meeting or whatever, and I'm like, uh, is there a virtual option? I'm going to take that one. Right. Because I also am like semi like a hermit. Mm-hmm. And the more I am at home, the more I want to be at home. Yeah. Very odd. And I think about how often you get out of the house. Like you're like forever going somewhere. Yep. It's very, very different. Yeah. I mean, I understand that. I get yeah. it. But like, I love service level friendships. They're so easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they're just fun. I mean, it's literally. So I started listening to um, Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. Uh-huh. And she had a whole episode on fun. And I'm like, yeah, like you have to find your fun. Yeah. Like, and that's fun for me. Like, I enjoy that. I enjoy like laughing about something. I enjoy not getting serious because. Yeah. Sometimes when I think about my deep friendships, like I have this uh, trip coming up with my col- to my college friends, and we're all very different on like the political spectrum, yeah, right, things. And I'm like really anxious about it because it's been such a politically charged year. I'm like, I don't want my weekend to be filled with trying to solve the world's problems. I don't give a shit about it right yeah. now. Like, can we just talk about kids and work and like weather and I don't know, whatever, like. <laughs> do you know what I, I mean? I love how kids is on your list of not deep things. It's not deep. <laughs> Because we're all in different stages of yeah. it. I mean, I had kids first, and, you know, my youngest is their oldest, essentially. So, yeah. like, I'm in a different place right. dealing with a preteen than they're dealing still dealing with toddlers, right? Yeah. But um, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I just don't want to. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, I enjoy, like, all of our industry friends. I feel like for the most part. I mean, I have a couple of deeper industry friends, yes, middle totally. level, certainly yes. not like They're best all friend tiered. level. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I love those surface things for yes. sure. Like they definitely have their place, but it's like, I can only have so many. Mm. Right. I can only have. Yeah. There's no amount because what's, what are they doing? They're not taking up any energy. Well, no, I just feel like I don't, I'm just not available for it. Right. Like yeah. I just don't have the bandwidth for it. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, on that same vein, talking about networking and stuff, I really loved her talk about partnering and collaborating. Yeah. I feel like we missed that so, like, we missed the boat on that for, like, the first half of, like, of our business. Like, really, it wasn't until the Bradford. And I remember at one point, we were like, we've we got to, like, meet people. Yeah. Like, because we were doing fine with C&D. Like, by our standards, we were doing fine. And we were booked. And it was great. And we didn't have to do any networking. We didn't have to yeah. get a single meeting or do anything. It was just you know, working with great vendors and whatever. And the Bradford, like, like this has a little bit more weight to it. Like, we yeah. got to actually pay for this mortgage. Like, let's, we got people to know that it's here. So let's get out there and do these things. Yeah. And I mean, it, like, radicalized our business, I think. It really did. It, like, put us in a different, totally different stratosphere. Level, stratosphere. Yeah. But I feel like, to me, and I've often thought about this, is that because we, we were so insular, because yeah. I think we're a partnership. Yes. So we were constantly bouncing off somebody else, yeah. right? So it always felt like we were collaborating and we were coming to some medium or right. like, and I think that you can get into this mindset of yours is the only ideas. Do you know what I'm saying? Especially in a partnership. Right. Like this is the way it should go because you agree it must be right. Right. I do think that that kind of hampered our success for a while, but yeah. I think it might be like if you think about like twins, right? And you see like how their kind of world revolves around. They're not twins. I'm not saying we're like twins. I know, but I seem like like disclaimer that we're not twins. Oh yeah, we're not twins, right? <laughs> but I'm saying you can, you know, how they like will yeah. create their own language sometimes, and right. they can communicate in certain ways with each other that they can't with other people, and they don't really interact with other people because they have everything that they need right there between right. the two of them. And I felt like for us business wise, right, 
well, I don't think it was true, right. but we felt like we just had everything yeah. we needed right there. It's like a codependency. Right. Yeah. Oh, totally. I know. Absolutely. I know we were at this like networking event and someone was asking like, oh my God, I love your foundation. And Courtney goes, well, the foundation that we use. And I was like, because <laughs> really? apparently we use the same foundation, which we do. We do use, use the, the same, same foundation. foundation. That's true. Like, I was like, that doesn't sound weird <laughs> <laughs> at all. I don't even remember that. Yes. <laughs> I introduced you to this foundation. I know you did. I'm just saying it's just bizarre <laughs> that like we can't even have like our own foundation. You like, can do the same thing. But no, but I think what it did for us is when we finally decided to network and we just and yeah. it wasn't even about collaborating, I don't think necessarily. I think we've gotten better at collaborating with people. It was recognizing that we are not an island. Mm-hmm. And I think for so long we felt like an island. I yeah. think because the beginning part of our business we were moms we were pregnant we were doing all the things that you know you we were trying to juggle it all and there wasn't like that time necessarily which I agree with and I don't I think there was time to actually go out and like have some you know community with other business owners who are moms and yeah. understand that this isn't this unique problem this is a universal problem that everybody has but it's brought so much more joy to the business. I think that if we were in the same place we were when we opened the Bradford, I don't know if I'd still be in it in terms of like how insular we were and how okay. much we didn't have those relationships outside. Because I think what keeps me in the industry is the relationships. Yeah. It's the people. It's the vendors. It's that camaraderie. It's that sense of community. You know, and you have found a place where you belong. It's like you're, you know, walking in high school trying to find that right cafeteria table that you feel accepted at and mm-hmm. everyone understands you're crazy and it's fine and, you know, you are there every single day. Like, you've, I have found that lane. Like, yeah. I have found that table. You're at your table. Right. Whereas if I didn't have that, I don't know if it wouldn't be, I don't know if it'd be worth it at all. Yeah. Well, I thought it was super interesting talk. Yeah. I really loved the fact that she like had two men that owned it and a woman came in and put her on it and revamped it and is a very successful company right now. Thanks everyone for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. For our episode with Amy, we picked an Amaretto Sour, her favorite cocktail. We hope you'll get the chance to make it this week and cheers to high functioning introverts. To learn more about Amy and her businesses, visit creativeallies.com or follow her on Instagram at amy underscore CEO or at creativeallies. And to learn more about our hustles, visit cndevents.com, thebradfordnc.com, and hustleandgather.com or follow us on Instagram at cndevents, at thebradfordnc, and at hustleandgather. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather.